When my wife and I got married, we went on a honeymoon, and during our honeymoon, we decided to go on this lengthy, mountainous hike to see, under recommendation of many others, to see a must-see, don't-miss waterfall. And so we woke up early one morning, and we went to the trailhead, and we started headed up, heading up the trail. And pretty far into the hike, maybe half a mile or a mile into the hike, we started noticing other people had something we didn't have. They had water. We failed to bring water. Now, I don't know if it's just the um, amazement of being on a honeymoon or the naivete of young love, but I guess we believed we could just hike on love. And so we're headed up that mountain and we got miles to go to get to this waterfall, and we don't have water, it's hot, it's dry, and we get to a particular point and we're like, we can't make it. We are way too thirsty, and there's no way we can make it. And so we regretfully decide to turn back and head down the mountain. Now, not long after we decided to turn back, a brief rain shower came. And we were so thirsty that as it rained, we stood in the trail and just opened our mouths as wide as we could to try to catch some raindrops. And it was, it was so incredible to catch a few raindrops in your mouth and just to have that raindrop wet your mouth a little bit. But it was so frustrating because it was simply the taste of water and didn't come anywhere close to quenching our thirst. It just made us realize how very thirsty we were. We hiked down that mountain, and to this day, I still regret not making it to that must-see, don't-miss waterfall. I tell you that story because every single one of us on the journey towards must see and don't miss moments in life, experience difficulties and challenges and hardships on that journey. And sometimes encouragement is that thirst-quenching experience that can make all the difference so that you keep on going. And you see that must-see, don't-miss moment. And sometimes the lack of encouragement can make you turn back and you miss it altogether. You know, our journey through the book of 1 John up to this point has been a little like climbing a mountain. If you think about the first section of 1 John, verses 1 through 4, John is encouraging us to engage in a relationship with God, fellowship with God, and that it is so amazing to know God. And he, he dangles out there in front of us this concept of joy through fellowship with God. But then there's a challenging component of knowing God. If you want to know God, if you want to be in fellowship with Him 
then being in fellowship with him is going to fill your life up with so much joy that you're going to want to help others follow him just the way you're following him. And I, I, I like the part about following Christ and knowing him. That is a great invitation. But when it comes to the invitation to actually share Christ with others, that can feel challenging at times. Sometimes we can think, well, how do I bring up following Jesus Christ in the conversation? What am I supposed to say? What if they ask me a question I don't know how to answer? What, what if they say something to me that makes me feel like I've intruded on their life and I'm no longer their friend? I feel a little bit anxious and scared about helping someone else follow Christ. Sometimes I feel like following Christ is so much a challenge in my life, I'm still trying to figure it out. How can I help somebody else start that journey when I feel like in many ways... The journey is a challenge. Have you had those kinds of thoughts and those feelings? I mean, sharing Christ with others and helping them know him as you are trying to know him can be a big challenge. And then John in the next section, verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, encourages us to take the first step into fellowship with God. And the first step into the fellowship that we're offered in Christ is confession of sin. If you want to know the joy of knowing God, your first step is the sorrow of confessing your own sins. That's hard. Sometimes it's hard to admit, I need you, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to admit that I've got some things in my life that that I need the Lord to fix. Sometimes it's hard to put it into words and to be willing to say, I am broken and I need you. But the first step into joy of knowing the Lord is the sorrow of confession. And that first step can sometimes feel like an enormous leap. In the next section of that scripture, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, John encourages us to leave the sin that we confess to the Lord behind in our lives. Boy, that is a challenge. We confess sin to the Lord that we feel like we need to confess in order to, to trust Him for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we confess that sin, and then the Lord expects for us to take a step away from that sin and leave that sin behind. And we all know the experience of trying to leave sin behind in our lives, only to discover we didn't leave behind as much as we thought we left behind. And we got to keep on working to leave sin behind. And man, it is challenging to confess sin and then leave the sin we confess behind and keep on working to leave more and more sin behind. And then that last section that we've covered up through the letter of 1 John, verses 7 through 11, is incredibly weighty. John is encouraging us that if we want to continue to leave sin behind that we've confessed and grow in a deeper and deeper relationship with God, to love God with all of our heart, that we have to love people. Even the people we find that are really hard to love. 
John is going to make it very clear here in the passage that we did last week and in passages to come in 1 John that loving God and loving people are interconnected so much so that we will find it so difficult to grow in our love for God if we are not growing in our love for the people in our lives we feel we have reason to hate. You can't love God if you're not growing in your love towards people, particularly particularly those you don't want to love. Boy, that is an enormous challenge. And those series of challenges make it feel like we're hiking up this impossible mountain. And... I feel like it is time for some encouragement. That thirst-quenching encouragement that just might help us stay in the journey so that we don't miss that must-see, don't-miss moment of knowing God. And I'm really grateful we have 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. So let's read that together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I write to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have come to know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I wrote to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I wrote to you, fathers, because you have come to know him who is from the beginning. I wrote to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John has already addressed all of the readers previously in the letter as little children in an encouraging term. He'll do it again several times through the rest of the letter. But here in this particular passage, he breaks down the people he's writing to into three categories. Little children, young men, and fathers. Let's just walk through and examine what he's saying to each of these groups. He says to the little children... I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He wants them to know that when they trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that their sins were forgiven on account of the name of Christ. Now that's like a big gulp of fresh encouragement. You know what that means? It means that if you trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven because of him, his promises, and his character that he cannot lie. You don't have to clean your life up. 
You don't have to fix who you are. You don't have to improve your name or your reputation because your forgiveness was not on the basis of what you have done, your reputation, or your name. You didn't get your life together enough to where God would forgive you. No, he forgave you on account of his name. Your forgiveness is not because you deserve it. Your forgiveness is because of what he has done, what he has promised, what he has guaranteed. It's his power, his love, his purpose that has brought you forgiveness. Your forgiveness is in him and on account of his name. All because of him, not because of you. All he wants us to do is ask him. And if you ask him, he forgives you. And he does it forever. Because it's his name that's at stake. You know what God wants to do when he forgives you of all your sin? He wants to convince you that you are forgiven for his name's sake so that when you live your life as a forgiven person of all your sin, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you are living your life displaying to the world that there is a Savior they can trust. The reason it's on account of his name is because it's his name that's at stake. And the reason you can count on your forgiveness being forever, once and for all, through Christ, is because he wants to make you a display to the world that the Savior who promises to forgive really forgives because of his glory and his purpose. You're forgiven on account of his name. The the second address, the second time he addresses the, the children... He says, I write to you, I wrote to you because you've come to know the Father. You are forgiven on account of his name and in that forgiveness you have come to know God as your perfect Father who loves you, cares for you, and wants to help you not miss the don't-miss-must-see moments of knowing him. Have you ever known anybody that's famous? You ever had a relationship that uh, was with somebody that if other people knew that you know, knew that somebody, it'd be kind of fun to talk about? I've had a couple of friendships with people um, that are kind of famous. I've had a good friend who played in the Major League Baseball, and I had a friend who played in the NFL, and it was fun knowing them, and occasionally conversations would come up around those individuals, and I'd be like, that guy's my friend. I know him. And I can tell you about what he's like off the field. I can tell you about his marriage, his family. I can tell you because I know him. I, I also have a friendship with a famous singer. And if I mentioned his name here, most everyone in here would know him. You hear him on the radio every day. Uh, and he's, he's my friend. Like, I could tell you a lot of things about him and about how I know him. And he's my friend. And, and I'd kind of be excited about saying, I know that guy. But here's the thing. No matter how much I told you about these people you may know about, all you'll ever do is know about them until you 
meet them. God forgives you on account of his name so that you can meet him and know him. He doesn't want you to just know about him. He doesn't want you to be satisfied with coming to church and hearing some guy on stage talk about knowing him. He wants you to know him. And he wants you to know him not just like a friend knows a friend, but also like a child knows a perfect parent. God wants you to know That's why he forgave you. And if knowing that you're forgiven does anything in your life today, may it encourage you to realize that there's not a sin in your life that stands in the way of God accomplishing his purpose for you, for you to know him, really know him. Then John says to the fathers the same thing twice so he's emphasizing this one simple sentence he says you have come to know him who is from the beginning Jesus Christ who is from the beginning the creator and savior of the world John is saying to the fathers in the church you really know Christ You've walked with him. You've had experiences of life and and you've been walking with him and you have come to know that you know Jesus. And so he's saying to these seasoned, influential members of the church, you really do know Jesus. The creator and the savior of the world. Don't forget who you know. Then to the young men, he says several things. He says, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. And then he says in the, la- in the next statement towards the young people, he says, you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And then he says again, you have overcome the evil one. There's another emphasis here on overcoming the evil when it comes in light of the fact that they are strong and they have the word of God abiding in them. So think about this. He says to the young, you're strong. You have the word of God abiding in you. In chapter 1, verse 10, we were given the phrase, the word of God abiding in you. And we should immediately think back to one, chapter 1, verse 10. And we should realize that what John is saying here to the young people, he's saying, hey, you have the word of God abiding in you. Remember what I already said about that? The one who says he does not have sin does not have the word of God abiding in him. Young 
Men, you have the word of God abiding in you and you are strong. How did they get into their strength? How did they find the word of God abiding in them? It began with them simply confessing their sins. What we know about the young men he's addressing is that they have actually confessed their sins. And through the first step of confessing their sins, they have found the strength of God through the abiding word of God that has come into their life to reside, not because they are capable, faithful, perfect, strong on their own account. It's because they have taken the first step into the light through confessing their sins. I love that. My first step into the strength of God and God's word abiding in me is not memorizing a book of the Bible. My first step into the strength of God is not becoming a better person before I can accept that God loves me. No, my first step into the strength of God and the word of God abiding in me is simply taking a step of saying, I need you. And in that step, we find his strength. In that step, we find his word filling our hearts with his promises that he will always keep. You are forgiven. And out of that, he says to the young men in the church, you have overcome the evil. And he says it twice as if to emphasize to them who they are and what they're experiencing. They are experiencing victory. And it's flowing out of confessing their sin and trusting in the strength of God and the word of God put into their lives by way of their confession and the goodness of God, their perfect father. They're victorious. If I were to say this morning, hey, I want to have a foot race and uh, I want to see who in the church family this morning gathered here is the fastest person in the place. And so let's say I picked one of you to be one of the racers. And then to race you, I said, I've already selected the person you're going to face, and it is the fastest person in the church. They're young. They're fast. They constantly win races everywhere they run. And I say, I want to race from this stage through the back doors. And the first person through the back doors is the winner. And so you nervously agree to this foolish contest. And I ask you to come to your starting lines. And the fastest person in the church, I have start right here at the stage. But you, I tell you that your starting line is right back there next to the door how you feeling now and then I say on your mark get set go and you go about 10 paces and win did you win because of your ability did you win because of your speed did you win because you were stronger better faster more capable no you won because of your position. That's victory in Jesus. You do not experience victory in Jesus because you're strong enough. You don't experience victory in Jesus because you're better than somebody else. You experience victory in Jesus because he is the winner. 
And it's his victory that we experience. The reason the young men were victorious is not because they were young and stronger. The reason the young men were victorious is because they realized their position in Jesus. It's amazing what John says to these folks in the church. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. Have you ever been in a family situation where your family has to move to a new city? You ever been there? When your family moves to a new city, you know what it's like for your family to experience leaving that city and moving into the new city, leaving the neighborhood in which you live and moving into a new neighborhood, leaving the job that you had, moving into a new opportunity, leaving the school that you were in, moving into a new school, leaving the friendships that you had and building new friendships. If you've been through that scenario of moving to a new city, you know what that's like and how that affects your life. You know how you've got to lean on each other as a family in order to make it through those adjustments. And when you get to the new place that you live, you don't ever forget where you came from, right? You remember where you moved from. But what you do not do is keep doing life like you did where you used to live. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to drive the exact same route to work today that I've always driven. I don't care what city I live in. You don't do that. You create new routines, new routes, new ways of doing life in the new city. You don't forget where you came from, but you also don't live where you are like you lived in the city you used to be at. You recognize in this passage terms like children, young men, and fathers. Let's think about that terminology as it relates to us and represents us. Little kids, young people, and older people. All in the context of family. A family on the move. On a journey. Headed towards that next don't miss must see moment of knowing God. John doesn't want to forget. He doesn't want us to forget where we came from. We used to live in sin and darkness without hope and without God in the world. In hatred and brokenness. But by God's grace, through trusting in Jesus Christ, we have moved to a new city. A city of love and hope. A city of purpose and life. A city that leaves sin behind more and more because of the journey of being invited into relationship with Jesus Christ. We live in a new city. And we as a family need to help each other along that journey 
so that we adjust our lives to living in the new city and we do not forget from where we have come. We should never ever forget that we were once without hope and without God in this world and we have been moved by the grace of God into a city where we know and walk with Jesus Christ. We should not forget from where we have come but we should also not ever live like we haven't moved. It just doesn't make sense to keep on living like you live in the city you moved from. And God does not want us to live in sin, in hatred, in brokenness. He wants us to step out of our sin again and again and again all along life's journey so that we don't miss the must-see, don't-miss moments of knowing Him. So don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget where you are. And don't forget where you're going. Because this City is not our final city. And Jesus one day is coming back. And he's going to take us all home. And we're going to be done with the struggle. We're going to be done with the hardship. And we are going to be alive like never before. But as we go, God intends us to go together. Remembering where we came from being fully aware of where we are and embracing where we're headed. Have you ever known anybody that's a brand new Christian? They just came to know Jesus Christ and they're so full of the excitement of being forgiven, so just captured by the joy of knowing Christ. It just bubbles over out of their life. They are alive and they can't help but talk about it. They're going around and telling everybody, you're not going to believe what happened to me. Jesus Christ actually loves me. He actually forgave me. I want you to hear about how he's changing my life. I'm going to be baptized. I want you to come see my baptism. And they're just over flowing with joy of their brand new salvation. You ever been around a baby Christian like that? What does it do for you? Doesn't it just fire you up and make you say, I want to be in that alive relationship with Christ, refreshed around the reality of being forgiven. I want to be excited about my forgiveness in Christ again like that. Isn't that what happens? See, we need a church full of baby Christians who are just bubbling over with the thrill of coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. God is a perfect Father. And the reality of having experienced the true forgiveness of sins for the very first time, that is the kind of encouragement we need to drink in deeply in this place. We can't because we're a family. And it's the family relationships we share as we go through the journey of life that will help us keep going even when we hit a bend in the road or an uphill climb we couldn't foresee. You ever been around a young believer who just 
just left some sin behind, and they cannot believe how amazing it is to have left sin behind. It's like, I actually am no longer the same person I used to be. Like, I see the love of God, my Father, perfecting itself in the forgiveness He's given me, and I'm leaving some things behind I never thought I'd leave behind. And they are shouting from the mountaintops that they overcome the evil one, and their life is actually changing. Have you ever been around somebody like that that is so zealous about the Lord, they want to follow God anywhere? Some of the young people in our church that are fire for Christ, and nothing will stop them from following Him. Have you ever been around somebody that is a younger believer and they are so fired up because of the very first time they've experienced the victory of Christ in the change of their own life when you're around somebody like that it's it's like this satiating encouragement that makes all the difference in your own journey have you ever been around somebody that has followed Christ for decades. They followed Christ for years and years and years, and they're so faithful and so consistent. And when you're around them, what you feel is not just that they followed Christ for decades, but they're as alive in Christ as they've ever been. They're passionate and they're zealous and you cannot help but see this mixture of zeal with wisdom that brings about this attraction into their faith that makes you want to finish the rest of your life just like them. You ever been around somebody like that that's so seasoned in the faith and experience that you're like, I want to be like that person when I grow up. You ever felt that way? We need that kind of encouragement, right? And, and that's who we are as a body of believers. That's who we are as a family. And the beautiful thing about this is that every single one of us, no matter what stage or season of our spiritual journey, have moments where we experience that fresh forgiveness of God. And it's just, it's just blowing us away. And we cannot believe that God is our Father. And we get to encourage somebody like that. Every one of us have those moments in life where God's power has become so evident in us that we've left a sin behind we never thought we could and we knew we couldn't except for the power and the love of Christ. And here we are leaving something behind we never thought possible. And it's happening right now, right where we are, and we can't wait to tell somebody about it. And everybody here who is in Christ has had those moments where you know that you are knowing Christ. And one of the wonderful things about being the family of God is that as we do family as a church, we can share out of the seasons of our spiritual journey and the stages of our spiritual journey and encourage those around us. Because either someone around you is hitting a bend in the path or a rise on the path in their journey and they are desperately thirsty for encouragement.
And if you don't give it, they may miss that next don't miss, must see moment of knowing God. And one of these days, maybe for you it's today, one of these days you're going to be hitting a bend or an uphill section of your life and you're going to need encouragement. And it's in the context of the body of Christ where that happens. You know, no matter what size church you're in, when you come on Sunday mornings and you experience a moment like this, it will never provide you the encouragement you need. If all you ever do is engage in a larger group of people, sitting and listening to someone else's experience of knowing God and his word, it'll be like you on a dry hike, opening your mouth, only to experience a few raindrops that remind you just how thirsty you are. That's why we want everybody here to engage in a small group experience because there's encouragement that needs to happen in our family as we adjust to our new place of living that will enable us to see those must-see moments, to experience those don't-miss moments of knowing God. You can be in a life group, you can be in a home group, you can be in a Bible study, you can be in the youth group, you can be, there, there's all kinds of women's and men's small groups. There's, there's so many opportunities in our church, in many ministries, to be in a small group experience. And the reason that's vital for everyone is because everyone needs the thirst-quenching encouragement of the body of Christ and the word of God fleshed out by someone who just left the waterfall of seeing Christ. So what will you do? How will you live? We all need encouragement and the family of God is full of it. Will you drink deep? And will you offer water to the one who might not have any?